was so nice. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, normally I do that job, so this is weird being on the other side. Um, hey, yeah, so like Johnny said, last Sunday, Archie kicked off our Scent series that we're in. It's so lovely to be with you all, by the way. So, and I love you all. Um, and Archie kicked off his Scent series uh, that we're in, this three-part series. And um, like Johnny said, he said he's, he's totted up and he's preached it a thousand times. It's so impressive. Well, I too have totted up. And I have been the worship pastor here 13 years, and I've preached three times. So, um, uh, so anyway, thank you, Johnny, for calculating how many times I led worship. I was never going to try and do that. But um, I want to use this grand occasion of my third preach ever to, uh, to talk about purpose and meaning, calling. What does it look like with all the change that we've just been sort of praying into, you know, change happening around us? Local church leadership changing here, prime ministers changing. What does it look like to discover our purpose on the earth? And I've been, as Johnny said, on a journey around calling the last couple of years with the Diocese of Chichester um, to explore ordination. And uh, yeah, uh, this is emotional for me because in, in just over three weeks' time, we're going to be moving to Oxford and starting my training in two years. And we've got no idea what's beyond that two years, but we just sense God say, it's time to train and go to Oxford to do that. But we all have a commission, don't we? But to what? To who? To where? And I want to turn to this beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 6 to see how Isaiah discovers his purpose. And he discovers his purpose through worship, by becoming a worshipper of God. So I'm going to read this passage, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold, threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And this, I don't think this was just dry ice. I think this was like, this is, this is for real. And Isaiah says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had touched with my which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And I want to suggest from this passage today that firstly, we discover our purpose through a revelation of the holiness of God filling our minds and our hearts with who he is. 
In this passage, Isaiah's commission, being sent out by the Lord, starts in worship. And worship always starts with seeing God. When you see the Lord Most High, you can't help but move into worship. It's the rhythm of revelation and response. And it's actually, if you look at scripture, the scenes around worship, it's actually more like revelation and reflex. It's like you can't help it. Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. I love this little note here because the train was just a little bit, if you're wearing a long robe, which I often do, obviously, and you, it just, it's the bit that drags on the floor at, at the bottom. And Isaiah's describing that the, the, the very bit that just dragging on the floor at the bottom is the bit that's filling this enormous temple. So great is the glory of God. And in Matthew 28, verse 17, it says about Jesus' disciples, when they saw him, they worshipped him. This is how it works. When we see Jesus, we worship him. So the Bible says, basically, our view of God is really important. A.W. Tozer, the writer, puts it like this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's essential for life and for discovering our purpose that we have the correct view of God and think of him rightly. We worship him for who he is, not our own idea of him or what, we've, what we even, the bits that we, that we like. We worship him for who he is. And this is why it's important we come back to this little word, holy. Isaiah, here, here's the seraphim saying here, holy, holy, holy. This sort of triple repetition. Um, it's not quite like this, but it's a bit like when I'm trying to give feedback to someone and I'm trying to make a point. I'm trying to stress a point. Like, say, Johnny Gumbel, our associate vicar, who introduced me, he often uses a, a flip chart when he's uh, preaching. I don't know if any of you have seen that. Sometimes more than one flip chart. Despite advances in modern technology, he's still, anyway. And um, if I'm giving Johnny a bit of feedback on his, like, uh, flip chart diagram, I might start by saying, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Uh, just to try, anyway, it's not quite like this, but what's happening here is this sort of device in the, in the way that the writer's uh, writing this account is saying, it's like a crescendo almost, holy, holy, holy. It speaks of God's absolute holiness. And this little repeated word literally means separate or set apart. God is other. It speaks of his absolute purity. God is free from sin. It speaks of God's self-sufficiency. He doesn't need anyone else. He's uncreated. Holy is like where we get our word whole or complete. He is who he is. He is God and we are not. And it's hard though, isn't it? Let's admit it. To not make life and discovering our purpose about ourselves and have our eyes fixed on us. I remember when my wife, Sarah, gave birth to our first child, Martha. And Sarah had obviously done amazingly. And um, she, was, she was obviously exhausted, she was recovering. And very sweetly, a midwife came in and said, can I get you some toast? And I instinctively responded and said, I would love some. Marmite, please. And as I turned, looked at the midwife, she was giving me like the hardest stare I've ever experienced and said this, sir, I was talking to your wife. 
I was like, ah, yes, that makes sense. Um, anyway, Sarah very graciously ordered some Marmite on her toast and shared some with me. But so often in my life, when I'm thinking about my purpose and what I should be doing on the earth, and I'm muddled about that, my thoughts turn to myself first. This is the problem here, isn't it? We, we, we turn quite quickly to self-discovery, filling my mind with who I am, who I'm meant to be. But if you want to discover your purpose, it's the opposite. Take your eyes off yourself and fill your minds with the holiness of God. In the first year of St. Peter's, I remember here, we decided to dedicate a Sunday to preach on the value of worship. That was probably the first time I preached on worship. And, um, and at that time, Matt Redman, uh, the, the worship leader and songwriter, he lived locally and he and his family were part of the church here. So Archie thought it would be a great idea to interview both me and Matt. Excellent, really good plan. We were down that end, you know, a lot smaller than we are these days. And we piled in and we preached on worship. And the interview kicks off. And I don't know if you've ever heard Matt, you'll have sung his songs if you've been here, but I don't know if you've ever heard him speak, but let's say he's good with words. And um, we got about 20 minutes deep into the interview and Matt had answered every single question up to this point with, with things like, well, when you face up to the glory of God, you fall face down in worship. And every sentence is like a poem. And I'm like freaking out there at any moment. Archie's gonna remember that I'm there, turn to me and ask me a question. And I'm like, ah! So, okay, so here's what happens. Archie does eventually remember and then turns to me and says, oh, Paul, yeah, hey, sorry, I forgot you were there. Um, uh, Should I ask you a question? Hey, you lead worship here week in, week out. How do you keep going in your worship? So I turn to the congregation and I say, oh, well, good question. Sometimes I like to go down to the beach to expose myself to creation. Now, now, just like you, I saw the thought of me screaming at the sea, ripping off my clothes. Um, everybody laughed that day, and I just handed the mic straight back to Matt. And we carried on that way. And for, you know, if I had my time again, for very, <laughs> for very obvious reasons, I would answer that question differently. But what I was trying to say, if I get to the crux of what I was trying to say, is that it's important to keep going in my worship and my purpose in life, it's important that I fill my mind, my view, with the holiness of God, with the creator himself, through scripture, through prayer, through creation. It's fuel to my worship and to my purpose. And in a culture that's screaming that it's all about me, 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 self-discovery, we must be a people that keep singing holy, 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 and find our purpose first through the revelation of God. So that's the first thing. We find our purpose through a revelation of God. And secondly, we find our purpose through humility. And I love singing about, you know I do, if you've been here for for a little bit. I love singing about the goodness of God, the love of God, his peace, his comfort, his grace, all beautiful things. But I felt God wanted to remind us today that we must also be confronted by his holiness. And it's like eating a balanced diet. So Sarah and I, we have three little girls, and if I only fed my children sweets, they would love that. 
but it's not very healthy. And my little girl was screaming over her dinner plate the other day. We were at our table and she's screaming over her food, packed with vegetables, obviously, because very good dad and all that stuff. And um, no, but anyway, she's a few vegetables and she's screaming over the fact she doesn't want to eat these vegetables. And she screams and she says, my only favorite vegetable is chorizo. <laughs> and we, the truth is we can't just eat chorizo. We're, we need some broccoli, we need some other stuff. It's like this in our worship. And so in discovering our purpose, we must sing about being loved by God. I've sung here, you know, I am a child of God. But we must also, like Isaiah was, be confronted by the holiness of God for the health of our souls. Isaiah cries, woe to me, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. As well as worship here, the reflex response is also confession. And it can be tempting to think that, you know, as we discover our um, purpose and we move into that in our life, it can be tempting to think that the key is self-confidence. Wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm awesome, I can do it, I can do this, I can be the next prime minister, I can do it. And, and you know, we, we can tempt, be tempted to think that's the realisation, but actually we discover our true purpose through humility. As Isaiah confesses, woe to me, notice what happens so beautiful in this passage. One of the seraphim flies to, which is this crazy creature with all these wings and eyes, and, and he flies to um, Isaiah with a hot coal, and he touches his lips, cleansing Isaiah. And this is the work of Jesus Christ in our life. The, the coals here from the altar in this passage are, are a picture of what Jesus himself has done in our lives. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The sacrifice that would have gone on the top of those hot coals in the, in the altar, which is this picture where we find Isaiah, it would have happened in those ancient times in the temple. It symbolizes the perfect sacrifice because a sacrifice would have been made on those hot coals in those times to take away sin and take away all that stuff. It symbolizes the perfect sacrifice Jesus made on the cross taking away everything that separates us from our holy God. Now we get to enjoy intimacy with God. And we find meaning in life through communion with him, don't we? That's our, that is our purpose. And, we, and I love, when I think about worship, I love that we can never outgive the greatest giver of all. You know, when we come to worship God, we, we come here, don't we, and we we want to bless him and we want to say thank you to him, bring him something. But actually, truthfully, we end up receiving way more from him than we come to give. Let's just think of, you know, Holy Communion itself. Uh, that central act of worship for the church, receiving bread and wine, is actually, uh, it's an act of receiving. Enjoying relationship. Who here saw the... Um, the Queen's Jubilee concert. Did anyone manage to see that on the telly? Probably quite a lot. Did anyone actually go up to Verity? Did you actually? Oh, amazing. That must have been incredible. So imagine for a moment you're Verity and you're part of the, the crowd there. Um, and, and they had that amazing thing, didn't they? That opening scene with Paddington. 
Did anyone see that? That Paddington, I loved that with Paddington and the Queen. Paddington having tea with the Queen. And, um, and I think there's a little picture of the intimacy we get to share with the King of Kings himself. Paddington's like proximity to the Queen that day. And so imagine for a moment your Verity, you're in the crowd and you're outside Buckingham Palace and you're chanting. It's part of these Jubilee celebrations. You're chanting, we want to see the Queen. We want to see the Queen. And it's like incredible atmosphere. It's amazing. And out of nowhere, a royal guard comes and finds you and says, hey, come with me, come with me. And starts escorting you through the crowds, through the gates, through the doors, through the layers of security. And you're confused. You're still vaguely chanting, we want to see the queen. We want to see what's happening here. And then just like Paddington, you're suddenly inside the room face to face with the queen, you're at the table, you're having tea. And you're not shouting, we wanna see the queen anymore. You've made it. And you haven't made it into the holy of holies because of anything you've done. We've made it into the holy of holies because of what Jesus has done. I'm a man of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the king. So it's through humility and so communion with God that we get to discover our purpose. And finally, in this journey of worship that Isaiah goes on, from him seeing the Lord to enjoying intimacy with him, we see Isaiah surrendering to God, saying yes to him. And we discover our purpose through surrender. It's interesting in this passage because it's like Isaiah now at this point in the, in the passage, he's sort of close enough to God to kind of overhear a conversation between the Godhead. The scripture says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And it's like Isaiah catches on and then he's like, oh, here am I, send me. And this is how it works in worship. We begin with an encounter with God, which always leads to transformation and surrender. Richard Foster, the writer, puts it like this. Just as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. In worship, it's like an increased power steals its way into our heart sanctuary. An increased compassion grows in our soul. To worship is to change. And so captivated by the glory and goodness of God, Isaiah says yes. With little or no regard to what he's saying yes to, where he's going, who he's going to have to preach to, what he's going to have to do, why even God is calling him. He just says yes. And you know, the great temptation for me, and I'm sure you'll relate to this, is that we can be, I think the problem is that we want to discover our purpose by taking control having a plan mapped out. And I know personality-wise, some of you will be more planners than others. And, but for all of us, we want to take control of our life and know what we're doing. But truly, in the Christian life, it's about surrendering to the Lord in worship. And as a church, we discovered our purpose this way. Just, I remember just before we planted the church, the summer before we came, um, we, we were a little team of us and... Um, Archie and Sam said, oh, come, um, come to this little team, come visit the site for the first time. None of us had even been in the building. 
and it was all fenced off and it was unsafe and so we crammed into the bit that we could and um, we were overwhelmed by the task I can't even describe it to you we were like oh Lord this is yeah, the weight of the whole thing and Arch said I'll grab your guitar Paul we best worship and we stood around that day as a people and just said like the scripture says in 2 Chronicles 20 Lord we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you and we started in worship and we sang together, Great is your faithfulness. So we raise up holy hands to praise the Holy One. And we just worshiped. And everything went from there. Hands raised in surrender. And that was the rhythm. We started to step into the service in the city that we felt the Lord had called us to and safe haven emerged and and it's been the same for us, same rhythm for us as a family, Sarah and I and the girls. We, for the last two years, you know, exploring this call to ordination, to be a vicar, for real, that is, wow, that, no way. That is happening, I think. I think that's what I'm doing. But um, I'm still taking it in, as you can see. And I've been saying to the Lord, here I am, Lord, send me. If this is what you're saying, send me. And you guys have been amazing. You've affirmed that call in, on my life. And in three weeks' time, we're going to do it. We're going to move to Oxford and... And, but with no idea what's beyond the two years that we've got there training. And holy obedience doesn't always mean an easy ride, does it? You know, we, we may, like Isaiah, we may have no idea in the context of worship, we're faced, you know, we're surrounded by his glory. We've got no idea what we're saying yes to in that moment. Here I am, Lord. And one of the toughest things uh, for us in moving to Oxford has been uh, the thought of taking the girls out of their school in, in Brighton. We've got three girls and they love their school and they're really settled there and that's been really hard. And so Sarah and I um, quite recently decided to book a day to go see a couple of schools. We booked in to, some appointments and we went to Oxford. And, and I have to be honest with you, it was a, it was a really awful experience and it was really, really hard. And the first school... We, we went in, um, just basically said to us, it was actually a really lovely school, but they just said to us, there's no way you'll get your kids into the school. It's just too overly populated here and there's just not a chance. And we've got three across three years. So, so we were like, oh, okay, right. Went to the second school and it just didn't feel right. It was just, and we came out of that second school and we just burst into tears. And I, and I said, I took back control. I was like, no, Oxford is off. This is not happening. We are not doing this. And Sarah, through her tears, says to me, but Paul, we've said yes to God. So we, um, so we, we do a little regroup and we're like, okay, let's, before we get in the car back to Brighton, let's just, let's just go as you do when you're trying to get some comfort. Go and have a cup of tea and some cake. So we found, <laughs> Wayne likes cup of tea <laughs> by the sounds of it. So we find a cafe on the way back to our car. And um, it's, it's a Gale's Bakery, which we have one in Brighton, which we love. So we're like, great, that's a home comfort. Brilliant. We sit down and we're still drying our tears. And then these two little girls come and sit pretty much next to us at the table. And their mum comes and we, and we, we help the mum find a, a chair and get them set, help to get them settled. And in the process, get chatting to them. And... Um, we say, oh, we've been looking at some schools today and, and, the, and, and 
we recognize, or we don't recognize this uniform that one of these little girls is, is wearing. And so Sarah says, oh, what's that? We don't recognize that. What's that little uniform? What school do you go to? And she says, St. Aloysius Primary School. And we say, oh, that's funny. We've not considered that one. And it was local to the area where we need. And the mum says, oh, that's funny, because just today I've been appointed the deputy head of St. Aloysius School. And we're here to celebrate, me and my little girls, that moment. Let me tell you all about the school. So we're like, sure, great, good to know. So we left Gales, as you can imagine, we left Gales much more encouraged than we, than we walked in. And um, we walked away, we found our car, and then we said, well, why don't we just, 4.30 on a Friday, it wasn't the best time, but we thought, let's just pop into the school, see if we can at least poke our head in. We drive up, and then um, we're looming at the entrance, and there's a lady pokes her head out, who turns out to be the head teacher and says, are you Paul and Sarah from Gales? And we say, yes, we are. She says, oh, yes, the staff WhatsApp's been kicking off since you met Mrs. Black in Gales. So we're like, man, wow, okay. Anyway, last week, the girls went for their settling session at St. Aloysius Primary School. And... uh, And the point of the story is... You know, I don't know how the Lord works in all of that. It felt like a very much a God thing to us. But the point of the story is that you don't discover your purpose by having everything figured out. You find your purpose in surrender to Jesus. When Sarah said, yeah, but we've said yes to God. We're walking into this, Paul. You find your purpose by giving your life up for Jesus. And there was one who, of course, did this perfectly, and that was Jesus himself. And he said yes to God, even though it cost him everything. And he's the model and the object of our worship, always will be. And if you're looking for a reason to to live and breathe today, and if you're looking for a reason to get out of bed tomorrow morning, our purpose is to worship Jesus. Through a revelation of God, through humility, and through surrender, the adventure of your life is waiting. Should we stand together and we're going we're gonna to pray? And we've got a few, a few moments. And, and before I get the, the team back up, um, just want to invite God's Spirit as we, always, as we always do here, God's Holy Spirit. But I just wondered, we've got a few minutes before we have to close, whether we just might... Um, sing together for a moment. And um, because the, one of the words I had among, amongst other things, but was that um, felt like the Lord had said there were some people here who just felt really stuck. Just felt like may, maybe with this thing of purpose, just like, I just, I just don't know. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do or just feel really stuck in life. And I just wonder, as we just sing for a moment and just fill our minds, start where Isaiah did, fill our minds with the holiness of God. I think the Lord's going to minister to us. Holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, 
Fix our eyes on you, worthy is the you are holy. Let's just wait on him. Let's just wait on him for a moment. Fill our minds, Lord, with your holiness again. Come, Holy Spirit. 